What on earth is Clown Mayhem? I'm glad you asked. One day, Ty Wolf Jones and I were talking about some of the biggest, hairiest problems on earth and came up with a hypothesis we wanted to test. If you believe in climate change, the only way we'll get past these massive environmental problems is if for-profit companies get involved. In other words, we've spent hundreds of years getting into this mess. We'll need to spend billions, maybe trillions getting out of it. Therefore, companies need to make money in order for someone to spend it. Then we asked, can we speak with a dozen or so companies in different verticals of climate tech who are making it part of their mission to be climate conscious and making big bucks while doing it? Well, we did just that. Thus, Climate Mayhem was born. So follow Jacob Kubica and I along as we listen to some incredible stories to test this hypothesis. Oh, and are you an entrepreneur about to get into this space? You will definitely learn something from these extremely impressive founders and operators of just how possible it is to take on a seemingly impossible task. Mayhem on, Jacob. Mayhem on, Ty. Ryan Fritch is the CEO and co-founder of Cloud Paper, the Earth's leading bamboo toilet paper company. But before Cloud Paper, Ryan and co-founder Austin Watkins were two ambitious young guns at Uber Seattle, where they helped grow the region into a billion-dollar-plus revenue generator. They fast-followed their roles there at Convoy, where they deepened their product and ops experience in one of the biggest industries in the world, shipping and transportation. But they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to make a splash, something that had more impact, more mission, greater stakes, which ultimately led them to toilet paper. After selling over a million rolls of TP, Ryan had learned a thing or two. So Ty, how do you know these guys? Well, I, I'm one of the lucky guys that got to work with them at Uber in Seattle. And yeah, these are, you know, Ryan's one of the smartest guys I've met taking on huge industries like building that huge business in, at Uber. Of course, Convoy taking on the huge inefficiencies of transportation and shipping. And now building their own company, taking on arguably even a bigger issue, of course, but bigger industry overall. This is a great episode. You're going to learn a ton from this gentleman. He has a deep experience of understanding this problem. Like you said uh, earlier in the episode around marketing and taking a, a funny or, or hard to talk about topic into something that anybody can talk about. We dive into sustainability, deforestation, and of course, a bunch of fun facts about bamboo. We also asked the really hard question, Jacob, what does bamboo toilet paper actually feel like? Yeah, you know, down there. All right. Well, here we go. Oh, and if you're trying to feel a little intrigued, listen closely, and there might be a 20% discount sprinkled in there. Enjoy. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Jacob, Ty, it's great to be here. I'm excited for the conversation today. Us too. Thanks. Us too. Clown Paper, you guys have a really cool product, bamboo Thank toilet you. paper. And you guys got some other products too. You have a paper towels. They're called swash cloths. Is that right? Uh, very close. Swish. Called the Swish Clash. Swish. Swish. The EC even I have a hard time. Uh, <laughs> Swish cloth. Which it means Swedish cloth, right? Yeah, Swedish dish cloth. 
Yeah. Those are cool. They're replacing for sponges. They have much less bacteria on it. And then you guys yep. have done tissues, but those are sold out. Yeah. They sold out quick in the yeah, first day. like those. They, they sold out. Yeah. It was, wow. It's been interesting. Yeah. We, we launched with toilet paper in 2019, bamboo tree-free mm-hmm. toilet paper, and then started rolling out additional products. And I think once people kind of, a lot of people, those is their first time kind of exploring an alternative to, mm-hmm. you know, their Cottonelle, their Charmin, their traditional kind of paper products. And so once they kind of saw that there's sustainable alternatives out there, there people, a lot of people were kind of hooked on it. They okay, well, what's next? When can I get favorite towels? Nice. When can I get facial nice. tissues? So as we go, we, we're seeing that momentum and that demand grow. And I think it, it's a really kind of fun, fun story that our facial tissues launched. And then we're by 5 p.m. on launch day, we had to go to a wait list. So that was fun. <laughs> wow. Dang. Yeah, I, what I liked, I actually got to order your product through GoPuff yesterday, and that was great. I got to try it out today and the past 24 hours. And I realized doing the research, and I guess in some way immersing myself into your product, led me to all of the other little nuanced ways I could be more environmentally friendly in what I do. Like, I love it. You guys had this yeah. blog article that was like, hey, here are other things. You could do toothpaste tablets instead of toothpaste, right? Or uh, I had a friend that used metal straws instead of plastic straws, like things like that. And I was like, wow, I thought I was already good with being a vegetarian and composting and driving an EV. But those are just like the big consumer facing things, right? There's like so many small things where you can incrementally get better and better. And this is a great example, you guys. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the idea there as well. Jacob is, you know, once, once we can kind of, again, get people to think about even the toilet paper that they're using, it kind of opens up this whole spectrum. Really like, well, what, what else can I swap? Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's been interesting, you know, when we look at like um, reviews on our website or when people share or talk about us on, on social, it was insightful for me because when people were talking about cloud paper, as much as they were excited about the fact that it's tree free and our products are not contributing to deforestation. They were equally as excited that it was plastic free. That's kind of an eye opener nice. for me. It's like plastic free is this like theme that is also gaining a lot of momentum in yep. households. It is an easy totally. swap, and that's what led to that swish cloth, which we can talk Got more it. about. But it's a really great alternative to you know a sponge, which traditionally mm-hmm. is full of plastic, or even you know like your uh, disinfecting wipes, which are plastic mm. wipes shipped in oh. a plastic container wrapped in plastic on a store. And so ours is you know every all of our packaging is always compostable or recyclable. Um, and no no plastic in the product. And so just kind of hearing what was interesting to our customers and the same thing, like you said, Jacob, as they were kind of going through this journey, like, well, what else can I swap out? I was yeah, kind of yeah. more sustainable. It was kind of that signal that led to some of our product development as well. That's powerful. There's a lot of different paper products too. And yep. recycled paper is, does overall just have such less of an impact. We'll talk yep. about that later. So Ryan, as a startup founder, startups pretty stressful, pretty demanding. There's endless work to-do list. The audience probably notices you have, you have a pretty calm demeanor. How do you do it? I appreciate the question. I appreciate the, the call out because I think it's something that you have to work on. And it's something I've, I've been working on. And I, I get the question more often than I would have mm. thought. I think it is part of this. I think there's a little bit of this kind of heuristic or this assumption of what the you know, quote unquote founder is that you see in the, in the press and, and Definitely. whatnot. And maybe kind of Definitely. some of my style runs counter to to that and uh so i think it you know the calm demeanor i think probably comes from from a couple different areas i think number one kind of generally both at cloud paper and just in my life i try to index incredibly high on humility right truly kind of listening to others thoughts opinions pushback feedback 
and and really truly listening, which I, I am a strong believer that being a good listener is a skill that you have to practice, especially again, you kind of, you know, as a founder, there is a lot of these kind of assumptions that, you know, you're clear and decisive, you know, you're pounding on the table, you're a visionary, everything you say is, you know, minted in gold plates. And I think that it's easy for the kind of that attitude to kind of to take over. And I think you have to almost kind of fight back against your instincts and actually just kind of pause mm-hmm. and don't be the first person to speak all the time. That's something that I mm. practice a lot. And a lot of times it's funny, I'll even, like for as you to use the cloud paper example, a lot of times someone will have to proactively or like explicitly ask me like, Ryan, do you have any thoughts? Cause I'll sit silent. Cause I don't, I want to set that precedent that it's, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, cut someone off with my vision. Mm-hmm. And that's the way the things are going to go. Cause I want to truly hear what other people think. And I think more importantly than, I guess not more importantly than kind of having quick, quick decisions. I think one of the more important things that in terms of uh, the workload of a, of a founder is hiring and hiring the right people mm-hmm. and building the best team possible. So for me, it's, you know, I start with like, okay, I, I'm a strong believer in that. So if we're going to spend a bunch of time and energy and resources and bringing the best people in to do a certain job, why not just, why not let them do that job then? Like, who am I to tell nice. our head of marketing how to execute on it? Like, who am I to like, that's what they do. They're the best person in the world that I could find to go and do that, that job. Let yeah. them do the, let them do the job. And so all that to say, I think it's something that, that I've practiced a lot in terms of this, this kind of humility. I think, like you said, Jacob, it. I think that probably comes through with if you know I'm doing an interview or a podcast like this where you know I'm okay with a little quiet, little mm-hmm. breathing room, taking a taking a breath because I want to hear what both you have to say and have have a dialogue versus me just waiting to tell you something, right? So I think that that's something I've been practicing. I think comes comes across as like you said, being cool as a cucumber, mm-hmm. which I think is a is an attribute that I uh, that I uh, uh, appreciate. And the the other thing too, in terms of kind of practicing these these skills. I'm also a very strong believer in whenever possible, kind of resetting your equilibrium or, or your baseline in terms of what scares you. And I think hmm. generally speaking in front of audiences, doing interviews, public speaking, most people would have that on their list of things that scare them yep. you know, in, until they practice it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And so I think a very important aspect of this, of what we're doing is, or at, at any early stage startup is doing is you have to tell your story. You have to be articulate. You have to be eloquent and you have to tell the world what the heck you're up to, mm-hmm. why yep. you exist, where you're headed. And as you go out and tell that story, you need to practice speaking to different audiences, whether that's live TV, podcasts mm-hmm. like these, wh- yeah. whatever it might be. And so whenever possible, I try to kind of scare myself in the next opportunity so nice. that it all becomes easier, right? Like I, within the last year, I've done live TV for the first time, right? And wow. that was that's scary. <laughs> that was That was scary. Uh, and it was on Cheddar TV and they do something Cheddar in the realm TV. of ten, tens of millions of eyeballs a month. And that wow. was definitely scary. But now I have that experience. Check that box. Um, so now nice. the next one will be just slightly easier, right? I'll get slightly better at it and do the and do the next one. I did a talk at a graduation ceremony at University of Washington. I was scared going into it, but now I have that experience. Now I'll get slightly better. If maybe I get invited back next year. And so I think it's, again, it's another one of these skills that you can practice, kind of public speaking, doing kind of public you know, facing uh, or having public facing opportunities. Um, and it's one that I try to, to really kind of to focus on um, and, and getting better at. And it's, it's good to hear that it's, it is kind of manifesting as a cool demeanor. So it's I totally. uh, yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Totally. Impressive. Well, you mentioned your story in some way that crossed with the clown paper story within that story. There's this individual called Philostachus Edulis. Who is Philostachus Edulis and how long did it take to grow up? 
Mm-hmm. Also known as Moso bamboo or giant, nice. uh, giant bamboo. Yeah, bamboo is. Oh, that's such, giant bamboo. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's okay. it's like uh, one of the it's one of its one nicknames. Of it's bamboo has become such a large part of my life. Yeah, you know, it's I've never <laughs> thought of it that way, uh, but it is like a character in my in my story yeah. right now. Just like generally the the plant of bamboo. So Moso bamboo is one type of bamboo. There's a, there's a couple different types of bamboo that you can use for paper products. I think you've both of you have likely seen bamboo is kind of grown in popularity across clothing, mm-hmm. construction materials, what and, and now mm-hmm. paper. And what makes Moso and just bamboo generally so interesting as a raw material and specifically for paper. I think you said how long does it take for you know bamboo to, to reach maturity or, or to or to grow up? One of the the fun facts that you guys can use at the, your next cocktail party or, or whatnot, the fastest growing plant in the world is bamboo. It's commonly um, uh, thought of as a tree because it looks like trees. It looks like kind of a, a tree in a lot of different ways, but it's actually a grass and it's the fastest growing plant in the world. Some species, wow. including most of can grow up to three feet a day. So you can literally have a cup of coffee wow. and watch <laughs> watch bamboo grow. Uh, certain wow. species grow before your, before your eyes. And when you think about harvesting bamboo for products, bamboo can be harvested uh, for the first time after about five years, right? And then it can be harvested annually after that. You look at, well, what have we been using before bamboo, and especially for paper, and it's been trees, and trees aren't mm. ready for harvest for paper products for 50, 60, 70 years, if mm. you're lucky. What, what happens, which makes it even worse, is a lot of times we're actually cutting down old growth trees. Now you're talking hundreds and hundreds of years just to make throwaway disposable single-use paper, um, where in wow. this case, you have this essentially, if either of you have uh, in your yard, it grows like a weed, grows like crazy, three feet a day. It's the grass. It's harvested annually. It's ready to be harvested in in five years. So it's just far more sustainable in that regard than than cutting down trees. And keep in mind too, it needs to fuel that growth with something. Right? It doesn't just happen magically. Right. So what it's doing is absorbing a massive amount of carbon and then releasing oh. it as as oxygen. That's and also second, yep. Second fun fact it. is that mm. it does that more than any other plant. Some research will point to up to four times bamboo will sequester four times as much. Uh, CO2 than that kind of in any other plant in the world, and will release thirty to fifty percent more oxygen than because of that growth rate. Right, it's got it's got to fuel that rapid growth. Yeah, interesting, interesting, incredible, incredible. Yeah, I learned that also. Bamboo doesn't need to be replanted after it's harvested; it just keeps going. Like you don't have to do any special treatment around it. It just will keep going. That's. That's hey, I, I don't know how much time you guys wanted to spend. I could sit here all day the next hour and a half. <laughs> I bet, bamboo, I bet. So let's keep it, let's keep it going. Bonus baby. episode on Let's bamboo. keep it going. So yeah. you're right. So that that's what that is what makes it especially interesting, especially when we kind of juxtapose it with the traditional way of mm-hmm. you know deforesting land to make uh, and forest to make to make paper, where because you don't have to replant bamboo, mm-hmm. you just harvest it um, annually. And you're not you're not uh, disrupting the root system. You're not disrupting hmm. the oh, soil. Hmm. You're just harvesting it and it continues to grow. So it, it, um, not to, uh, be pandering or, or anything like, like that, but it, the way I look at it is it's very much like, uh, getting a haircut, right? <laughs> yeah, like you exactly. get a haircut and it, boom, it starts yeah. to grow again. You're back in, haircut right. in, in, in four weeks versus, uh, when you're cutting roots. down trees to make paper. I'm sure right. you guys have, have seen, you know, the NASA images and, and whatnot. The land can be just absolutely decimated to the mm-hmm. point where nothing else is going to grow there. So you take these rich thriving ecosystems and you disrupt the soil, you're ripping up the, the root yeah. system and you just leave it uh, as like wow. a barren land, um, which is you know that 
uh, you know, is probably kind of the, the core problem that we're trying to solve with with cloud paper and moving towards more renewable, sustainable uh, fibers and 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 inputs for for our demand for paper. Okay, excellent, very interesting. Wow. I, I I do have more questions around bamboo. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold them back. I'm gonna hold them back. Fair enough. Uh, Ryan, what got you interested in sustainability? And, uh, you know, if it is climate, it seems like it's more on the subject of sustainability. Like, when did you start thinking about these issues? Mm -hmm. The company's been around for three years, you know, call it a year, kind of th really thinking about this be before that. So we started Call Paper with one other person, Austin, and we were working together actually in um, technology startups. Um, so we didn't, we didn't get our career started in uh, climate change or sustainability. Mm -hmm. We were working at Uber here in, in Seattle and then another uh, marketplace startup called Convoy in, in Seattle. So we were kind of working in kind of these very hyper growth startups. I think what we kind of got addicted to in a sense is kind of this entrepreneurial energy, kind of just mm. being able to kind of have an idea, uh, execute it and kind of see that change happening in the in the quote unquote real world. So that was super interesting to see, and especially with you know both these companies became massive runaway successes. And so you saw mm -hmm. how quickly of a good idea can materialize in the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were working together at both these companies for um, coming up on at the time, seven years working together and both knew that we wanted to kind of take a, take a swing and, and try something out on our own. And it really wasn't much conversation or back and forth, to be honest with you, before we landed on, we want to get into sustainability and climate change in a, in a big, big okay. way. And I think, you know, back to the kind of, the idea of kind of this entrepreneurial energy and momentum at, at this time, there's all kinds of companies and investment being made, startups that were launching in this space. And it was, it was inspiring, right? Uh, you were seeing all kinds of companies launch and, and tackle all kinds of different problems from removing plastic waste to mm -hmm. increasing recycling and, and you name it. Do um, any come to mind just, right now when you, you thought about some companies? Yeah. Yeah. So one that was super interesting to me at that time was a company called Blue Land. Okay. Uh, they do reusable. Um, reusable cleaning supplies for the home. Um, so instead of buying like a single-use plastic thing of dish soap or a disinfecting spray that's served mm -hmm. in a plastic bottle, they will ship you a, a glass container, and then all the of a detergent or the solution is tablet-based. It's kind of a dissolvable tablet, like an, I don't know what the you know like yeah, an Alka Seltzer. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you put it in the water because most of this stuff, like you know your disinfecting spray, is just water, a little mm -hmm. bit of concentrate, and a big right. plastic bottle. I mean, so they went and solved that problem. What was interesting to me, I was like, wow, this, this company is going out and like reinventing the 409 bottle. Like how, how cool is that? Like there's <laughs> going to be no stone left unturned. Um, yeah. Like we're even, we're like, we're figuring out our soap dispensers. So yeah. that, that was one like kind of very specific example at that time. And then that kind of led us down this path. It's like, you know, what else is essentially being overlooked? Where else have we got kind of comfortable with the status quo in terms of you know products or routines in our in our daily lives, and that's what kicked off what was then a lot of research. But the research focused in on whatever product or space that we get into. We want our solution to drive positive impact for the planet. We didn't want to just like make something for the sake of making something. Whatever it did had right. to be good for the for the planet from day one. And then through enough kind of just kind of curiosity in, in life and going through our daily routines, came across a lot of the research at that time around paper and pulp industry and and the industry being as a driver of deforestation and climate change more broadly and then you 
went to toilet paper. <laughs> so you guys have had a little That's bit right. of fun with this. Right. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I think it's such a part of our lives that we don't even think about it a lot of the times, right? It's it's needed. And of course, you know, there's these points in the pandemic where people freaked out about it when they thought it might not be around. But other than that, it's just this like normal thing that we have to have all the time around us. What led you to kind of like, oh, wait a second. What was that kind of aha moment of like, Toilet paper. There's something, this is, this is interesting. Like you could change people's, change the industry, change lives potentially with this one necessary thing. Yep. So I think what it was, was once we started to really understand, well, guys, two things. One, the size of the market, the size of the market. So you, you know, right away you're, you're talking in billions of dollars of paper products sold just in the, in the U S really by two, three companies that that all the brands kind of roll up, roll up into So it's just a massive, massive market. And then, like you said, it's kind of, it's one of these things that I think it becomes super clear to us where it's, it was just such a routine that has been ingrained in us. And we even heard a couple of stories anecdotally of someone. So I just, you know, the paper products I buy were the products that I had as a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Right. And just mm-hmm. like, it mm-hmm. almost is like this kind of multi-generational routine. Like mm-hmm. if mom and dad were buying bounty paper towels and angel soft. And that's been just ingrained. It's kind of what you buy on your next Costco trip as, as an adult. Um, as like, this is like really, it's like such a ingrained. And by the way, I think that it's unsurprisingly like this kind of autopilot style of routine. Like we're of all the things the modern person has to think about and deal with and resolve on a daily basis. Usually a deep dive into their paper products is not making the list on a good right. day, right? So like <laughs> right. understandably, like we have to be able to automate some things in our lives and not think about them. Otherwise we'd all yeah. just, we'd be paralyzed. So like I understood where this, this kind of lack of interest, this lack of thought was coming from, cause I, was, I did the same thing. So then, but then we say, okay, but what if, like, what if we can crack through that? What if we can tell our story? What if we can get people to switch? Then that routine will actually be a benefit because then we can switch everyone into tree free. Wow sustainable paper and then hopefully that becomes a routine and one of the you know one of the, the dreams of the company is can we create the same multi-generational routine like can we have someone like we're, it's probably gonna be another what 15 years from now 18 years from now until we'll know if this comes true but will someone growing up you know buying their first home or renting their first apartment by cloud paper because their parents today in 2022 are buying cloud Love paper it. and if we can do that then then you're driving real real kind of multi-generational change, right? Yeah, love it. That's actually one of the things I was going to talk about. You talked about the size of the market, obviously paper in general. Are the numbers out there, I'm sure they are, of toilet paper? Like what percentage is toilet paper of the paper market? Do you know? So if you look at the kind of household paper market, the lion's share is toilet paper and paper towels with toilet paper being number one. So the vast wow. majority is wow. those two products with, and toilet paper is is technically a bit bigger than than paper towels. And then everything else is kind of makes up the long tail from dinner napkins and whatever else in the kind of in the household paper plates. In the household, and, paper plates, yeah. right. But yeah. it's it's uh toilet paper is 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 definitely up there. Um ready for fun fact number three yes. over here. The most popular skew at Costco is they're 40 count Kirkland signature two ply toilet paper. Um, wow. And that's why it's at the back of the store because most yeah. people are there to get that toilet paper and yeah. they walk by the TVs and the diamond rings <laughs> and the vacuum they don't need and everything else. And so it sits in the back because they know you're going to go get that toilet paper. You're wow. not leaving without it because you need it and they sell a lot of it. So 
yeah, that, uh, that just kind of put the size of the market and the kind of that, yeah. that, that to me. And this is why you saw the craze in 2020, right? It's like people yeah. were, were really worried and concerned about, you know, they said, I need to get water, shelf stable foods and toilet paper. Like it was, it's literally up there in terms of like life essentials with running water Amazing. Uh, in terms of how people prioritize Amazing. their in during this kind of anxiety inducing period yeah. of spring 2020. And it was just crazy how people just kind of like heard something about it might not be around and just freaked out, like, and just went kind of the exact opposite. Yeah. But I also love what you pointed out at the beginning of this question was if we could change the habit, right? Like if you could change the habit from paper, from cut down trees to something else, you would have, because it's one of the biggest things we use without even thinking, it's one of the biggest places we could have change which is really, really a, a great way of thinking right. about it. Yep. So curious though, what got you to bamboo? So you're looking at this market, mm. you're looking at paper and pulp, you know, what suddenly cued you into this being the potential solution? For us, it was a desire to move quickly. I think it's kind of the best way to get to the, to get to the point. I think the urgency of the problem, I think demanded it. We've been, Interesting. depending on where you look, call it 100 to 150 years toilet paper was first introduced in the market. And at least in North America, we've been cutting down trees every day since then for 150 years. With And and actually, the, the trend is accelerating, not decelerating, right? And it's, um, and it's one of these nations, kinds of- More developed what nations. What was that? Is it because of more developed nations, like developing nations? More demand for- more yeah. demand for, for tissue products over time. And then, it, wow. and then in terms of the lack of innovation- in the core fiber, it comes down to yeah. they've never had the pressure to do it, right? It's like your cliche kind of innovators dilemma problem, right? It's like, well, these mm -hmm. large multinational paper companies are making a good amount of money uh, yeah. selling their their brands. Like, why rock the boat, right? No one's kicking down their door to rock the boat. Um, and it's been 100 years. Why change now? And then you build these supply chains around this and yeah. you know make these massive investments. It becomes very, very hard to, to unwind. And we were basically we didn't want to we didn't want to sit around, essentially, and and run a law you know five year R and D cycle to develop some new proprietary fiber developed in a lab. Like, is there room for that? Like, probably. And I think cloud paper will be a big part of driving nice. R and D and true innovation in the in the space. But while we're doing that, every roll of cloud paper we sell now made with bamboo is one less roll of toilet paper we use to cut down trees. And so we're kind of we're totally. doing both. And bamboo had a bit of an existing ecosystem tie or, or a market because um, yeah. it is more popular as a product outside the U.S. and for for paper. It was a kind of a supply chain we could plug into for yeah. the sake of urgency uh, and kind of solving this problem quickly. Kind of get a get a product out to out to market while we work on kind of other longer term R and D. And then you know it also is a high quality product. So you can pull bamboo. You can pull bamboo and create a soft, durable, absorbent paper product, as opposed mm -hmm. to I think right now or pre kind of cloud paper or pre bamboo paper products. If you did want to make a sustainable switch in this space, you had a, a recycled paper product as your alternative. And, and in terms of sustainability, it is a far better product than using virgin wood pulp. Uh, the problem right. is it's a very low quality product. Yeah, recycled toilet yeah. paper is a lot of uh, receipt paper, for example, newsprint. And it's no surprise you're not going to create a soft toilet paper out of receipt paper, right? Interesting. Yeah. And so with bamboo, we get all the sustainability benefits. We can move quickly. 
to go to market, but then also deliver a high quality product to the market so that we can get more and more people to switch, which was important to us, right? We're not actually that interested. So I'll say this, we're more interested in getting the household or the family that right now is buying, you know, your plush ultra soft Charmin. We want to get them to switch to bamboo paper products more so than the person already using recycled. The person who already using recycled is doing the right, right thing, uh, right. you know, comparatively compared to using uh, virgin wood pulp. So like more power too. Now, if they want to move to a higher quality softer product, we're right here. Uh, we'll yeah. send them a box, no problem. Uh, but yeah. I think the, the bigger challenge, the scarier problem to go and solve is getting the family that's been using through, multi, through two or three generations has used nothing but Charmin can we convince them to switch to a bamboo paper product? And that's what we're, we're super focused on. It's interesting. We talked to another company, B2B space, totally different space in this energy renewable credits, but they had this term of additionality, right? Net new projects in there. And I almost kind of think like you're, you're going after these people who don't recycle are actually, you're looking for net new customers who, who make this shift. And I, I love that. That's a big, exactly. Big, Bigger challenge, but but more interesting and more impactful. So I have to ask this question because we know through you know the hemp industry that there's always been these conspiracy theories of the paper and deforestation industry, et cetera. Why aren't we using more bamboo already in the states, you know, or or other places for that matter? I think it goes back a bit to the companies that, and not to play into any conspiracy theory or not. For the companies that had the distribution, the, the market share, the mind share of, you know, your average consumer at a Target or, or wherever else, never had an incentive to, to introduce bamboo or hemp or anything or any mm-hmm. other uh, fiber because there was people weren't demanding it. Right. So one of the um, kind of key paramount pieces of literature that played a, a very pivotal role in starting cloud paper uh, was this report called The Issue with Tissue released by the NRDC. It comes out, it first came out in 2019, also we launched the company, no coincidence. Um, and they do it every <laughs> year now. Um, they do it every year. So on their third version, it's two parts. One, it was a bit of an expose on essentially where does your toilet paper come from? What they pointed to is, you know, go into a retail store today, pick up a, one of your, your major store brand. On average, about 30% of that roll is coming from the Boreal Canadian forest, which is our uh, largest old growth forest in the in the world. And we're using the, that great paper product. So, you know, don't always believe this, the, the talking points that the paper industry is running these ultra efficient, ultra sustainable tree mm. farms. Like it's part of it, but this research points to a good 30% of that role is made with old growth forest. So wow. the point there, Ty, is that that came out in 2019. 100 years after toilet paper was invented and we were, we were cutting down trees to make paper. And, yeah. and so you can see the tide shifting, but it's a relative, in, in, in terms of the arc of the history of toilet paper, mm. a, a focus on, well, what, what the heck are we doing to make paper today and kind of driving it back to its, its source, relatively new phenomenon. There's never been that demand from consumers or nonprofits, NGOs, whatnot to make a shift. So again, back to our conversation like why why rock the boat but again what's promising and exciting especially for us is that shifting a bit you're seeing kind of the 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 momentum move towards products like ours um, because it's it's becoming more transparent for people to kind of see where their products are coming from toilet paper and and elsewhere right and this is back to the uh, conversation around getting plastic out of the home and people composting Mm -hmm. more and we said like, people are taking this stuff seriously and trying to find these these swaps and a product like 
like this traditionally, like most people, if you're given the option, say, would you rather cut down a tree for a toilet paper that you're going to flush <laughs> away or a paper towel you're going to throw away right away? Interesting. Or would you rather yeah. sustainably harvest the fastest growing plant in the world that doesn't need to be replanted after harvesting that grows three feet a day and absorbs more carbon and leaves more oxygen in the trees? But most people, I would wager, will say, yeah. And, oh, and, and by the way, I'm going to deliver it to you for the same price as what you're paying now and to your doorstep and at a high quality uh, wow. uh, point. People will vote there. So now it's our challenge to get that story out there and pose that question in in various different ways to folks and kind of break through a bit of that, again, that kind of routine Routine. to to, to talk to people about this problem and and what we we see as the uh, the solution. It's interesting. That word keeps coming up, right? There's like a routine with with toilet paper that, you know, you don't really think about, but, and that probably ties to the whole industry and the whole supply chain there. But it's interesting because even the even these big companies had no we're running you know we're running out of trees you can cut down I mean they're starting to grow more and do those things but it it is a not finite in the sense that it never comes back but finite in the sense of like you said the timing of when do you need this where does the supply meet the demand um, pretty interesting another thing that we've been chatting with a lot of these companies and people about is kind of the funding in this space. And I think it's, you know, really relevant to you guys in the sense that you went to a consumer brand, but there's a probably a B2B or business brand here as well, or a wholesale brand at the very least. And so, but you came from the startup space, you came from the tech startup space. So, you know, institutional investing a bit, you know, venture capital and, and these types of things. And one of the things that we've been kind of exploring is where is institutional money and venture capital in this space. You guys have, if anybody's looked you up at all, we'll see that you've gotten both some institutional money, but also some unique sources of money that people probably know the name of uh, a few of them. How did that play into the funding strategy? Was it because there was a gap in the VC world? How did this funding strategy kind of take shape for you guys? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And it's one I would say the investor group are definitely taking this Seriously, right? I think that there's a bit of a misconception that it's like, oh, there's, you know, it's not a priority, for example, or it's kind mm-hmm, of a nice mm-hmm. to have if there's mm-hmm. jokes about launching your ESG fund and whatnot. But as someone who sat on the other side of the table with a pitch deck, walking through a lot of different types and styles of investors from like institutional VCs to family offices, I can tell you people are taking this seriously right. for a lot of different reasons, right? And so it, it's definitely at the forefront of a lot of investors' minds in terms of kind of investing in the next wave of companies fighting fighting uh, climate change. So, and like you said, we, while right now, especially after 2020 and the kind of TP shortage, we've been heavily focused on our consumer brand. We aren't just a consumer company. I think you hit the nail on the head on that. How we have a wholesale brand, a, a B2B brand and kind of growing new distribution channels as well. Um, so it does, you know, change things. Trying to get, uh, trying to get in the back bit. of that Costco's, right? We're trying uh, right. <laughs> got to get in the right. back of that Costco. Back in that Costco or um, hotels, for example, nice. are a big customer of ours because they, nice. you know, as a as a corporate entity, want to be a steward of change and do the Love right it. thing. And this is a it's easy swap for them. It's kind of one example of our kind of multi-channel, omni-channel approach. And then I'd say when it came down to now, who are the best investors to bring on board for us? I think we've we've touched on on this theme in a couple different ways, but we're super focused on finding interesting and creative ways to tell our story again to not to sure. use that that same word again ty but to break <laughs> through the routine to break through the yeah. noise to get people to kind of think even for just a couple minutes 
thinking about their paper products. And it's, again, it. not it's easier said than done. And so when we were looking at the investor group, it was who is kind of looking to jump on board with cloud paper because they're super into what we're doing. They are advocating for what we're doing and they can help us tell our story, right? And and that that was a that was a really important part of of our funding strategies. Who who can help us? Whether it's them literally kind of telling our story, whether it's through right. social media or whatnot, or helping us think through the best ways and helping us attract the best talent and people and support team that can help us craft our message in a way that will resonate with a large group of of people. And a key prerequisite of that is you got to believe in what we're doing yeah. to, to kind yeah. of passionately tell our story and and, and be an advocate. And so that was a, a key filter for us. It's like, who is interested? And it's pretty easy to tell, like, depending on how much time someone talks about, you know, or I should say the kind of set of questions that get asked, right? If someone keeps diving into, hmm. wait, tell me more about bamboo, but tell me more about the carbon sequestration <laughs> of that. And the kind of, end, wow. you know, environmental impact of that. It's, it's a pretty clear signal that they're into this because they want to see this. They want to see this product out in the world. And wow. and it, it, to use it themselves and to kind of be an advocate for a large scale shift to more sustainable paper products. Whoa, what a blast. What'd you think so far? Are you hungry for more? Go check out part two of this conversation. But before you go, could you do us a huge favor and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it right now? It'd mean the world to us. Oh. And if you're feeling a little frisky and you want to give us some feedback, go to climatemayhem.com where you'll find our contact link. See you soon.